Welcome to the Propaganda Report. This is Monica Perez with my co-host, Brad Binkley. And today we have another very special guest. We, we Mostly our show is a daily show of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice. And it's just Binkley and me. But every other week we have a featured Friday interview from somebody who is a principled thought leader or is doing something cool or is a subject matter expert. And uh, today's guest is no exception. I first heard today's guest on two of my favorite podcasts, The Higher Side Chats and Tinfoil Hats. And although I don't like to poach other shows guests after receiving several emails from listeners asking us to bring this guest onto the propaganda report. I had to answer the call, not only because it'll be interesting, but because he is truly trying to build a better world and you might want to be part of his efforts and because he demonstrates the very hopeful fact. And I think this is a big Carlwood thing that you can do what you love and what you think is good and right. And in the process, build something and make a living. So without further ado, let's welcome from foodforestabundance.com, Jim Gale. Hi, Jim. How are you? I'm doing great, Monica, and I'm so thankful to you and Brad for having me on your show so I can share this message with as many people as possible. It's a great message. So before we talk about kind of how you got here and your philosophy and why this is good, tell us exactly what your business is. Tell us what foodforestabundance.com is. Wonderful. We help people grow food the easy way. And we help on many layers or many levels. One of the things we do is design food forests. So people who've got, let's say, a suburban backyard, you can have a designed food forest designed by a professional using permaculture principles. And these principles are relatively easy once you know them. And that's also what we do is we teach people so they can DIY their own food forest. So on every level, we help people grow food and we are scaling internationally. We just opened up New Zealand and Australia and all these other countries with a food forest cooperative. We cooperate with what we call regenerative capitalism to help people be in the business of helping people grow food. So. Let me think about this. So I, I live in a city. I, it's not like I live in the suburbs and I actually rent my house, which is something that a lot of people are doing more and more often. Yeah. And there was a little patch in the back. So my husband and my son, I actually made them like by proxy, go start growing stuff there. And it was not a great success. And I feel like it's, it's harder than it sounds. And I, I wonder if, how, how do you approach like the, suburbanite, the renter, the city dweller, yeah. somebody who really does not have a green thumb. Like what, what, what is it that, what gives them hope to be able to have a little bit of their own wholesome food? Well, first of all, thank you for asking the question. That is the number one reason most people don't grow food, right? They think it's going to be difficult. And I'd like to point to the forest down the street, right? Your favorite forest. Who manages that forest? <laughs> Nothing. It just grows. It, exactly. I mean, it's a silly question, but it's actually a real question. When you design and install a food forest mimicking nature, then nature does all the work. Now, there is going to be more effort up front. And when I say effort, um, we installed a food forest about 18 months ago. And for the first two to three months, we visited that food forest an average of once a week, for about an hour to make sure that it got established properly. 
So an hour a week, four hours a month at the most. For the last 12 months, we have done nothing and it is thriving. Yes, that I can imagine that little bit of expert care intervention would be very, very helpful because a lot of times people do you can, you can do it. You can afford it. You can put the time and effort in, but if you don't have the wisdom and the experience, you really don't, you could go too much water, like yellow leaves are too much water or not enough water. Like, I don't know how to deal with that. Right. 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 So, um, and I, I read a book, I don't know if you've ever seen this book against the grain where it's an, it's a book. It's a Yale professor. He's kind of an anarchist, not, not my kind of anarchist. He's not a hardcore libertarian or anything, (laughs) but he pointed out, yeah, that he, that, or this is what his what he says he's discovered is that human beings had agriculture or the ability to domesticate plants and animals long before like the agricultural revolution, which was really just a way to to get tax slaves. But that it was a way of curating these naturally growing like the Garden of Eden wasn't necessarily just or whatever the real one was, wasn't really um, a. It wasn't necessarily wild, but it wasn't it didn't you didn't really have to produce off the sweat of your brow that you that they would kind of follow the herding patterns of animals, maybe maybe move a path here and there, kind of pull the weeds away from some berries so that it really was kind of a low effort thing. But and it wasn't like stuff that died and was harvested every single year and just every year is just starting over. So that I think. I feel like what you're doing to the extent it's similar to that is a kind of um, it jives with our nature, with how we're supposed to live. Yes. Uh, And yeah. And I wonder also about how that how you think of this from a nutritional point of view. So getting to the idea of the Garden of Eden, let's jump right into the foundation of everything. There's one thing stronger than all of the armies of the world. And that is an idea whose time has come. Now, that idea whose time has come implies that the idea is maybe an ancient idea or it's at least already out there, right? Well, everybody who's heard of this idea of the Garden of Eden can describe it in glorious detail in their own minds, right? And what is the Garden of Eden? What does it look like? What does it smell like? What do you see around you? It's abundance, right? Abundance everywhere, and it feels good, and there's birds and butterflies and bees. That is not a utopian fantasy. That is the next logical step for humanity on every level. It is truly wild. In fact, the Amazon rainforest, archaeologists have recently published, was a designed food forest 5,000 years ago that was let go. No way. Way, yeah. Come on. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's so interesting because you think of the Middle East like that's where the Garden of Eden stuff, but it's all been dried out for so long that right. you really wouldn't have the remnants of the original. Maybe they can see it in the waterways and stuff. But of course, that would make much more sense that there were before it's Columbus Day, before Columbus Day, right. before Columbus, and there, there there were people living like that. Exactly. This is nature's way. I lived in Costa Rica for 12 years. And the first thing we did in this corn community was plant 3000 fruit trees. And a few years later, after things started to really fill in, we were able to go on a walk at any time of the day, at any time of the year and come home with a basket full of food. Wow. And how does how does it work where you have in 
like I, I live in the suburbs of L.A. right now. Yeah. And for whatever reason, I personally suspect foul play. But there's this terrible drought. And I, and how do you and, and it feels like there's a lot of pollution stuff in the air. It's just not good. It doesn't look healthy. Right. How do you right. deal with that artificial problems that are, are around us all the time? Maybe we can't identify them, but it maybe isn't like a 5000 year old rainforest. Yeah. OK, so you start where you can start. Right. You take the ability to respond where you can. And so where is that? It's in your backyard. And then this idea whose time has come as people demonstrate. And this is what's so magical about the whole thing. We launched six months ago on Earth Day and we're in 15 countries and 40 states now designing and installing miniature gardens of Eden or food forests. I don't want to get too off on religious stuff because I understand how that has been used as a pillar of enslavement as well. Um, so my point is just about this idea of a place of abundance. And as these things, as people become demonstrators, this is the idea that's going to literally take back all our freedoms. How do you expand like that? Is it a franchise thing? Like what, is, how do you communicate that information so quickly? So, yes, it's similar. In fact, the fran a little backstory on the franchise. I spent years figuring out the most simple stuff. Like, it's amazing that it took me years to figure this out, right? Um, and I built greenhouses and I did all these things. I patented technology and stuff. After many years, I had basically 330 pages of contract franchise documents and they made me sick. I threw them in the trash and I'm done with all that. I now have, we now have my amazing team and cooperative has, it's a two page contract and it's based exclusively on the voluntary exchange of value. There's no NDAs, no patents, no nothing other than let's volunteer to help each other and let's earn money in the meantime. How can people be qualified to do that though? To, oh, so that's a great question. We have 19 professional food force designers on our team and a design team leader and an install team manager. And we create what's called a food force blueprint. And that's a very detailed document, about 45 pages that lays out all the basic principles of um, how to work with and manage a food forest. And then it includes the custom blueprint design. And that blueprint has every plant listed, every nitrogen fixer and pollinator tractor. It has the layers of soil from the sheet mulching usually on up. Is it based on the regions? Surely it has to vary from region to region. Absolutely. Zone is the number one consideration. And we do create microclimates like we're growing bananas in Texas and, you know, like Austin area <laughs> where there's a guy named um, Sepp Holzer who has lemon tree, a lemon tree in the Alps where it gets 35 below zero with lemons on it using microclimates and the magic of moving water. Wow. So I do that. The only reason I I'm trying to get to Texas, I live in LA for a while and I'm renting, but I want to move to Texas. And the only thing is that I just love the citrus. The, there's citrus yeah. trees on this property. I and I, I mean, I'm a huge aficionado of yeah. fine cocktails. Yeah. And when I could just go outside and grab myself a lemon for a 
quick whiskey sour. Like that's just, that's the garden of Eden. If you ask me. So if there, I would, I would move to, I would be much more enthusiastic about moving to Texas, which I do want to do. But if I knew that there was a lemon tree at the other end of it, I would really like that. Oh, for sure. And Texas is rocking. So many people in Texas are, are, putting food for us in right now. How much land do you need to actually use one of your services? So the food forest that we installed at Galt's Landing, it was a funny story how it happened. It all happened immediately. My partner, it was March and we thought the economy might be done that weekend. Like it was just a weird time back in 2020. So he bought $3,500 worth of fruit trees, which was a huge delivery. And we ordered soil. We put cardboard down on a cattle pasture. We put the fruit trees down and all the different things. And we had a circle of about 600 feet um, of total square footage on the ground. We put about 55 different plants and trees and bushes in there. And that's right now the thriving food forest that I was talking about earlier. And basically on 600 feet, you could produce an incredible amount of food. Really? Yeah. And it's, is it just have to be in the backyard? What about laws and also appearance? So we, that is a completely unkept food forest. My partner, Dr. Ian and Scott, on the other hand, has the normal backyard design food forest. It's basically landscaping. In fact, the business model, it's a landscaping business model, except for it has more functions than just landscaping. It's foodscaping. It's funny because I, I've been... I was in, I used to before all this lockdown stuff, I did a good go to Europe maybe every year, every other year. And one time I went, we'd take one kid every year if they were old enough to really appreciate it. So what my one son likes Russia. So we went to Russia and in one of the, it was really cool. It was like, I think the winter palace, they have these gardens on one side of the path is the French garden, which is highly manicured. And on the other side of the path was the British garden, which is really wild. And I always prefer the British garden. And I remember in England, like the thing that's really noticeable is like right in the middle of London, is this you? It looks like a forest, but it has like razor wire. And I mean, you know, there are snipers somewhere, but it's the queen's like oh, land yes, where she, yes. I think there's like stag, they go hunting in there. I mean, in the yes. middle of London. Wow. And I remember thinking like just access to that wild beauty, to that forest, whatever, like that nowadays is this, is the ultimate in the yeah. elite. But if you had that in your own experience, like that's what's so cool. Like when I was a little kid, you said, who grows the forest down the street? When I was a little kid, just in the suburbs of New York, we still had a forest. We had a brook and a forest and we would just climb trees and walk through there and look for berries and all that. And what was interesting about it wasn't that it was a mowed lawn. What was interesting about it is that there were goodies and secrets and and pathways and shade and shadows. It was really cool. And I would I, I always thought that was like a luxury that you could not achieve and as just like your normal suburban mom you can achieve it you can have 30 40 different types of fruits and berries and vines and grapes and stuff all in one little spot and the kids love it you know this idea of working in a food forest there is no work in a food forest there's enjoying your time while you're doing something that's what i wanted to ask you about because there is that people when they think about this they think about I would have to learn all this other stuff. I would have to spend this money. I would have to spend all this time. What is like one tiny thing that people can do to kind of change their perspective on that? If there's something small and achievable. 
So start with a guild, start with one fruit tree with a bunch of plants that become a community, right? You've got your nitrogen fixers, your flowers on the base. You've got maybe some roots and tubers below and different types of uh, perennial spinaches. And then maybe a couple berry bushes around the edge of the tree. And then you've got your maybe shorter tree and taller tree all in one little compact area. That's one guild will produce radically. And then once you see that happening and you feel confident, then you just go to the next one and the next one. And pretty soon you've got abundance. Garden of Eden in your backyard. Absolutely. So, okay. So I, I did, I really wanted people to understand what it is that, that you do. And actually truly from, I, I think that this is a fantastic concept and service. And when I first heard you on Higher Side Chats, I immediately sent your link to my son who's 16. And I said, we've got to find one of these franchisees around here so that you can learn in the summer, like offer your labor so that you can learn this stuff because we need to know. I never realized this before. I just started figuring it out right as COVID came down. I wonder if they planted yeah. stuff in the media for us to, to realize like that we were just on the precipice of yeah. having absolutely no control over our lives. Right. And I realized like we are just one gas shortage away from people being hungry and yeah. there was nothing I could do about it. I thought, wow, I have been a libertarian, yeah. mouthy libertarian for the longest time. And I didn't even have dried food, much less the ability to grow food. And I feel like, the idea of what your essential skills are, it's not just reading, writing and arithmetic. Like right. we really know, need to know how to sustain the human body, which it really shouldn't be that complicated. Right. I mean, the, the scarcity is in everything else. The abundance is in food, water, air, like you have abundance. And yes. I've always thought that like, that's how they have control over you. They say, well, we need anti-competitive law or whatever. We need yeah. antitrust laws, everything. And my argument has always been, there's nothing you really need yeah. that is scarce. Like there's nothing that, you, right. so the, yeah, you can't get to a movie. So you watch TV or you read a book or you talk to your partner. Like there's always a substitute except for necessities and necessities are not scarce. Yeah. So I love the theory and I, and I think it's truly good. And I think um, from what I've heard listening to you, that that's part of the reason you went down this path. And I think our listeners would really like to hear about your kind of philosophy, your journey. Do you don't don't hesitate to touch on this spiritual or anti-spiritual, whatever it is that got you here and to think about things the way you do. Well, so. I'm going to address the food thing as part of the answer to this. Henry Kissinger said back about 50 years ago, if you want to control nations, control oil. If you want to control people, control food. If you want to control the world, control the world's currency. Well, he and the families that are all together with him, um, when they say things in public like that, that's not just thought, it's strategy. And that strategy has led to where we are now, where I think it's six major corporations, which are all run basically by one big corporation who we don't know who the shareholders are. Um, They run all the food as part of their strategy. And that is how. So in permaculture, we like to turn the problem into the solution. If the problem is centralized food, I mean, yeah, then the solution is decentralized food. And then this is where it gets really crazy because you can layer it. If the problem is evil and which is unsustainable and death and all these different words, the solution 
And it all comes down to is the Garden of Eden. It's enlightenment and abundance and, and joy and love instead of fear. Go ahead. And actually, the idea of death, my mother always says uh, it's a culture of death. These people are, are have a culture of death. And yeah. as I've started to pay more attention to nutrition, getting older, I can't like eat what I used to be able to eat. I can't eat wheat anymore. It's like really annoying. And I noticed that basically I feel better. Like they'll tell, give you pills. I can't eat dairy or whatever. I'll feel better if I eat like sauerkraut. If I eat yeah. like wild sauerkraut. Yeah. And as I noticed like how effective that was, like really just that one thing, I started to realize that, or I'm like bone broth, I find to be really, really sustaining. Yeah. I noticed that it must be like everything that I eat is dead. Uh, there's no everything's dead like really really dead and yeah. there's not it's and even to the point when then it's processed processed like there's nothing left at all in it that's alive or interacts with your biome and that and it's it's interesting because i do feel like the nutrition big ag and big pharma they say they're there to sustain you but i actually think not only are they just there for themselves it's that same conflict of interest as government. Government sells you security, so it must make you feel insecure. Yes. And similarly, if they're selling you health and nutrition, you they need to keep you in a state, a chronic state of malnutrition and ill health. And I think we haven't seen anything like it to put an emphasis on that more than the past year and a half. Right. Oh, hundred percent. Um, so when I started learning these things, it was about 14 years ago and uh funny story, a bunch of guys around a table and a couple very eclectic group, one former CIA agent, former New York cop, a artist, a pipe fitter, my dad, a teacher. And we we're in Southern Costa Rica and they, they were telling me nine 11 was an inside job. And I laughed at them. Like, I'm like, Oh, give me a fucking break, you know, but some part of me said, hmm, it really was kind of weird how that all happened. Anyway, they directed me to a show. I watched it. It was Zeitgeist. And everything in my world made sense to me more than it did the day before. I'm like, oh, that's why. Ah. But anyway, I went down that rabbit hole and I went through a couple of years of kind of focusing on the problem, which sucks. You know, it was my least healthy couple of years. It was just a weird time. And um then I read Bill Mollison's quote, though the problems of our world are increasingly complex, the solutions remain embarrassingly simple. He's the best permaculture writer out there, right? He wrote the Bible. Yes, he is my hero. He will be, he died a couple of years back. He will be nominated for everything that should be nominated for in the years to come. Um, you give him as, like the shadow Nobel Prize. Like we should have a yeah. take all these prizes and actually assign them to the people who really deserve them, at least in in yes. title, if not in money. It, so it, so he said, repeat that what he said that he okay. said, though, the problems of our world are increasingly complex. The solutions remain embarrassingly simple. And he's and, right. And yeah, how did you <laughs> how did you put that into practice? Like, how did you what did you take from that? That sounds like well, that changed I started your life. sobbing I, because <laughs> I needed something like that, some jolt in the head. Right. To just get me focused on the solutions again, because I'm an optimist in, at, at heart. So um, I then I was living in Costa Rica. I started buying fruit trees. I started um, really going down the path of learning and, and putting the trees in the ground. And. 
everything that I learned in, in Costa Rica, the most successful part of the whole thing after the whole government failed and now they're complete socialists and all that poor stuff, right, um, was that the fruit trees, they're thriving, right? The ones that were planted correctly, you don't have to do anything. They're just providing free food. If you walk in Costa Rica, in fact, the governor or alcalde of the area came up and asked for money from me for his campaign. And I said, I don't give politicians money, but here's what I will do. I will get the community and we will come to your city and we will plant a hundred. Uh, well, we said a hundred fruit trees. We ended up planting 150 and we will call all the news stations and we will have them interview you as the guy that made that happen. Oh, and it, it worked. It was fantastic. That's great. That's a great idea. You know, you, you are very optimistic. That's very clear. You got a great energy. And I, I heard you on another show talking about forward looking and, you know, you're mentioning the problems, focusing not just on the problems, but on the solutions to those problems by asking yourself new questions. Yeah. So I, I love that concept because that can put things in perspective. It can change the way you see certain things. Do you have a technique of asking new questions or a mental process you go through to, to do this? That's such a cool question, Brad. Um, yes, I have cultivated. I'm constantly working on or playing with is a better word, the processes. Learning uh, neurolinguistics, the basics of it was incredibly helpful for me because I, and then going past neurolinguistics to sensing your emotions, my emotions, like, oh, I got a funny feeling here, or I got a funny feeling here, or just being conscious of the, the buzz, the vibration and the feeling. My stomach, I had a lot of stomach issues. All right, because I like was an awareness of your body, a growing awareness of your body and connected to your emotions. Yes. So then when you sense that there's something going on emotionally, which is reflected in dis-ease and disease and pain. <sighs> All right. I got to take a big breath. I take a few and I just sit quietly. And I said, what's going on? What can I do to help it? And when I did that just now, in fact, I felt like a tightness in my stomach that I just... I just let go and I just had a deeper breath than I had the breath before. So something happened there. And, and that was a healing. Now, when you ignore that for a certain amount of time, then you get cancer, which is the uncontrolled growth of abnormal cells, right? Let's not call it cancer. Let's just call it what it is. It's the uncontrolled growth of abnormal cells, which is all based on disease and pressures that the spirit and the body create in certain areas to wake us I, up. I love that. Yeah, that, Reminds me of um, improv or warm-ups is uh, the whole idea is, is we go – we didn't do it like a lot of other people did. We would basically do yoga. We'd go in and we would get in touch with ourselves and we'd breathe and just try to be aware of everything about our bodies. And it does open up this level of creativity to, to see things in a new way. H how do you stay so optimistic in times like these? There's a lot of people that are down and out right now that would probably love to be able to, to get a spark. Oh, man, that is fantastic. So I believe there's clues. I, I believe, and this is a belief, there's some things that I have that are knowings, right? This for me is a belief. I believe that we are, like, I know we are spirit, but I believe that we're here to play a divine game. And I think that to succeed in the game is to manifest and enjoy life. And all of these emotions are clues and they are directly tied to the level of energy we have. You look at a person with shame and they're all bent down and they're, they're talking 
quiet and they just look like they're in shame. You look at a person who's optimistic and you see a different energy. The resonance is different. So I understanding those different things, I I, I intentionally breathe into and use the physiologies in a way that helped me do that. Now, the other part is the faith part. Um, having the beliefs that I have, I don't, I believe that this is an illusion, that this is a temporary existence of our spirit. And if it's a temporary, and if we're playing the game, then the best I can do is inspire as many people as possible. And the other clue, if you can conceive it and believe it, you can achieve it. Thanks Napoleon Hill is I believe that we're going to change the world. And that's where it starts is believing it. Yeah. When people say stuff like that, those big ideas, other people can go, Oh, you're going to change the world. But people have changed the world throughout the course of history. And it's all started with saying that. And then you talk about goals a lot about setting those goals to, to get there. What, what about the way that you set goals? I know people have different strategies for setting goals. I'm asking you these questions just because I want to, I want to learn this stuff from you. I'm sure there's going to be people listening that would like to. Yeah. Fantastic. So I went through a process where um, well, first time is my college wrestling coach. He handed us all a paper, a three-page paper, and said, "You're a champion, yeah. by the way." I looked at, I noticed that you're an NCAA champion. Yeah, and thanks to Dr. Gary Rushing, my coach, he said, "Fill all your goals." And I looked at this paper, and I'm like, "Oh, what a pain in the ass! I don't want to do this." Yeah. <laughs> I was not a school guy. I didn't like the pe- paper and pen. I liked wrestling, so I got C's, so I could wrestle. Anyway, I started writing. It was, I went home, it was Friday night, put it on my desk. I got drunk as heck on Friday night. Then I got drunk all day Saturday. Then Sunday I recovered and I saw this on my desk Sunday night and I said, shit, I got to fill that out. It's for wrestling, right? So I started writing and I started asking myself, well, the questions were right there. So I started reading the questions to myself. Okay, what can I do? What can, and it was a pretty comprehensive document. Two or three hours later, I was a different person because I, in my mind and in my energetic being, I created a compelling future for myself the first time ever. And that compelling future pulled me. And it was, it was incredible. A couple of months later, Doug James nominated me captain of the wrestling team. I was a freshman in college and it was a young team. And that blew my mind. It was, I guess it was that new energy that was coming out of me. You asked yourself new questions. It sounds like by going through the document that was given and discovered some stuff about yourself. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. And and discovered and created, right. I, you know, I think that I, I don't believe in destiny as a script. I think that our lives are completely free to choose once we understand that we have the awareness of choice. Um, But I do think that there is a potential. And I think that the potential is the idea whose time has come. And that's what I'm, everything comes back to that. So what, what you're talking about, it's interesting now that you say it, it reminds me of how I think of, I call it big T they, or they, and I put a little trademark next to it. And it's, you know, who they are, whatever. We, they're actually, with the with the past 18 months, you could see it because it was the World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates and Johns Hopkins. Like, those were the they, but there's a whole continuum at that point of a bunch of they's. Yeah. It's all just one big they. 
And what, one thing I noticed about the big T, they, which starts with, say, John D. Rockefeller or Cecil Rhodes or a Rothschild somewhere along the line, whoever it was, they have a an intergenerational, very patient approach that includes planning, effort, imagination. And we don't like I always think that I my father's a truck driver, his uh, mother was an immigrant and an orphan. Like there's no there's no intergenerational building, and the technologies change so often that they disconnect the generation. So even if you learn the lay of the land, by the time your kids come around in this kind of like pleb layer or whatever, yeah. you just really aren't aren't can't get ahead of it. But but what you're talking about in this particular case, like the permaculture or even your own life or whatever, if you think of it as a way of planning and visualizing and imagining, you can, I do believe that you can manifest that and that it can push through to be intergenerational, especially if it's something that has real value, real essential value. And it reminds me of something else that you said earlier, which is a person sent me a video. It was like a sermon or something. I'm Catholic. So I never listened to that. Like the preachers on the, you know, I go to my priest. He says the same thing he said before or whatever. So she said, for some reason I listened to it. Oh, because the title was do not love the world, the world. And I was, and I've been like really grieving kind of the, the loss of the world in this past year and a half. Like I had, I had, you know, my father's a trucker, but I wasn't like, and I kind of figured a few things out and I kind of felt like I was achieving something. And maybe I looked a little, learned how to put on makeup. Like little things that just made me feel like I was getting somewhere and I loved it and I kind of liked it. I was happy. And I thought, wow, like that world that I worked really hard to get a grip on is kind of passing away. And I don't really know what the new world is, but it doesn't look like it's going to be like that. And and I thought, I guess maybe this is a good preparation for for the next life, because if I were really attached to this life, it would have been very hard to make that transition. But when I listened to this guy's sermon, it sounded a lot like that. He was that was exactly what he was saying. It was right on. But he talked about referred to and I didn't really crack the code on it, but he but it made me think, well, in Genesis, it says God created heaven and earth and he said it was good. So is the world you know, it's about how you define the world. But But what is good is actually that creation, that Garden of Eden thing. And and I was having a hard time reconciling with don't love the world. This grief is probably an asset with being happy and hopeful and creative. And I feel like there's something in that. It's something in what's the difference between God's creation and the, quote, world. Man, I love. There's so many things to unpack here. Um, one, I just want to reference. You mentioned the families literally controlling their primary asset, their source of energy, which is the slave, is their only job in life, <laughs> and they've been doing it, like you said, intergenerationally. Um, so that's the one thing. And then um, jumping forward, what was the last thing you said on the? Just to reconcile, like God's creation with not oh, loving yes. the world. Yes. Oh my gosh. So this thought that this family, I call them evil because for the lack of a better word, they're destroyers, right? So whatever kind of psychopathic evil, 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 I don't know, but it's evil for sure. I do know that. Um, This idea, it goes back to biblical. It goes back to the age of Aquarius. It goes back to all these different things are converging right now, right? 
I mean, this is the apocalypse, the unveiling, the lifting, the age of Aquarius. I, I truly believe that we're going into a beautiful time and that this is contrast that's pushing us to wake up. Like, it's insane. Like, this guy in the White House, it, it, give me a break. Like, what's going on here? It's impossible to... Let's go Brandon, right? Yes. And yeah. And aren't we waking up? Like, do you feel how many people are waking up? It does feel that way. It feels there has been lots of revelations of the method and a lot of people opening their eyes to things. It's strange to me sometimes that things that five years ago that if you said people would call you crazy that people are openly talking about now. Well, the way the way I'm looking at this, the way I'm trying to be hopeful without see somebody said the other day that they thought this was me being black pill to be like this was hopeless. But it's not. I just feel like it's really important to be realistic and see where we're headed, because if we're not, if we're playing, if we're fighting the last battle, we're really not going to win the next one. And the way I see it is it's I think it's undeniable that this is the substitute for war that they've been looking for for a long time. This is World War Three. And one of the biggest things about war, if not the biggest thing, is cultural change. It is here. They are using it. They will prolong it for as long as necessary to make a fundamental radical change in our culture. And I don't think we're going to get the old culture back. I've never seen that happen, even in resistance, the Khmer Rouge, the Russian Revolution, the people who resisted did not win. But in the end, all those regimes did fall and human, the nobility of man does remain. I feel like we are experiencing that right now. And so you have to be realistic about it and prepare for it. I mean, do you, is that, can you play on that hopefulness? I can. This is the ultimate realistic. What is the foundation of war? Death. Fear. (laughs) Fear. Yes. Yes. Fear is the tool by which humanity is enslaved. Absolutely. That has been this control method for the whole year and a half. Fear. That's it. Just fear. Just Just fear fear with nothing more. Fear and words. Fear is propaganda leading to fear. And what's the solution for fear? If the fear is the problem, then what's the solution? Right. Hope and control. Faith and courage and, and hope and joy and love and freedom. And how do we get those things? We have to have local regenerative food. I know it looks like a. A uh, figure walked behind me just now because uh, <laughs> if you're looking at our screens, my uh, background and somebody walking by had like a real loopy effect there. But uh, <sighs> yes, that, I, I love that idea that fear is crippling to people. It, it holds people back and action too. you take a lot of action. So one thing in improv, I bring up improv again, is you're always afraid before you go on stage, but you do it anyway. And yeah. you use that fear to kind of charge you, to give you a little bit of energy to move forward and to to take that action. And you, you're you're building like a, a house or a neighborhood or a community of yeah. forest abundance. Tell, tell me more about that. So um, we are building a place called Galt's Landing. Now, John Galt from Atlas Shrugged, nice. right? Yeah. And uh, the the first house is going in now. It's got a mile long paved runway that we don't own, but we're looking to eventually own and a private 430 acre lake. It is. And we've got the only dock on the lake and I'm a fisherman and all this. It's just it's the most insanely awesome thing that 
that drives me every day to one of the things that keeps me going because we are going to create a studio there and we're planting thousands of fruit trees, hundreds and hundreds of different types of food. And we are going to show the world on a daily basis how wonderful and luxurious it is to be completely off the grid. We have no grid. We have every lot has its own food, its own water, and its own energy. Energy? Yes, solar and wind and geothermal. So we're combining all the permaculture principles in a community that has a studio that's going to represent this change. That's fantastic. That's I mean, that's what people are looking for right now. A lot of people are, are wanting to learn how to, to live off the grid and, and to to not have to rely and be connected to the system that is trying to intimidate. I yeah, did right. see, I don't know where I saw this on, but I don't know how old it was either, but it was a house that was totally self-sustaining. Like it literally even had like a kind of sewage processing, you know, just by using plants and stuff like my fish tank. You know, I have plants grow and they eat the fish poop. It's not working out perfect, but the theory is definitely good. So how do you do you think in that way? Is there a next step to what you're doing or do you just feel like your job is to green the earth (laughs) one lawn at a time or one one lawn replay, one garden of Eden back? Garden of Eden at a time. Is there a next step? Yeah, it's all next step and it's all about scale. So, my job is to inspire as many people as I possibly can and then to detail or dive down on the questions. Okay, there's one. Now, how do we get two? Now, how do we get 10? How do we get 100? How do we get 1,000? How do we change the world? If a bad idea can radically change the world in two years, like has happened over the last two years, then what can a good idea do? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Especially because like for me, and I know Binkley's same, we believe in the goodness, like the it's mostly good. I always said, just look at it. Look at a building. The building stands straight, which means it's true, which means the people who built it understand truth, objective truth. Like you're a gold slander, you know, objectivism. The whole world, mostly everything, all of man's creation really is an homage to truth. So there's a place for it. Yeah, there sure is. And I do. There are two more practical things I wanted to ask you. In If people, when you start, start a project with somebody, what do you anticipate them having to buy? And I guess the other part is like, what? How do you approach nutrition? Do you try to have a nutritionally balanced um, garden or do you look for them to trade certain things? I mean, people are going to drink coffee. You probably have to buy coffee. Do you have a chicken coop back there? Like, how do you think of the holistic person and their needs? All All of the above. Like all of that, we're going to create communities within communities and this local trade whenever possible. And some people come in from foreign lands and bring new spices like has always happened. And that's great. The main thing is keeping the govern, which is control the mind or control mente out of it. right? And just have it not be because that's where all the problems are. They're in this subsidized, poisoned GMO, no seed producing Uh, slave tools that they have on millions of acres. In fact, the worst one of all, you know what the worst crop is? The crop that covers more land than just about anything? (laughs) I've heard you say this. Binkley, do you know? What is it? The American lawn. 
Ah, <laughs> 40 to 50 million acres of American lawn out there right now. It's a monoculture. It's a it's monochromatic. It's only got one color. And if you have a other color, you're going to get a coffee or HOA. It doesn't provide food. It doesn't. It, it is a biological death zone. You know, what's funny is that all you do when you have a lawn is spend your time pulling the dandelions out and the dandelions is like the a dandelion could be the greatest superfood on earth like yeah. dandelion is unbelievably great yeah. for you yeah, yeah, yeah and i remember even my dad used to be like i kind of like the dandelions they're pretty and my mom's like you got to get rid of the dandelions <sighs> isn't that freaking amazing yeah, i thought about planting stuff in, in the yard not long ago and then the thing that kind of slowed me down and you know, basically stopped me was like the pesticides and all the stuff people are, are spraying to poison it. How do you overcome that? Well, you, you don't do it. You start where you can, right? Start in your own lawn. And then like I had the guy spraying poisons out here. And then after he's done spraying them, he would put a heart, a red heart shaped sign in the yard that says, keep children and pets off. This is poisoned with a heart on it. <laughs> That's so attractive. <laughs> I have to add though, I don't want people to think they can go use the dandelions that are growing out of that chemical because you cannot like cannot. that. And even like bone broth and stuff, it has to be organic or yes. it leaches all those chemicals out. It's terrible, terrible, terrible thing. Absolutely. That's why those signs are up there and it's it's bad news. And that's going in by the millions of tons. The lawn takes more poisons and more labor than any other crop. And it's to kill the world. That's what the GMO thing is. People will say, oh, we've studied GMO and the genetic modification doesn't hurt you at all. And my argument was always you genetically modified it so it could absorb more poison than a living thing should ever be able to absorb. That's the problem. It's not that the genetic stuff, we don't merge our genes with the spinach we eat, but it's covered with that, with those poisons. And I'll tell you, even the stuff in the store that looks like shiny and if they cut up fruit for you or whatever, they spray stuff on it to keep it from turning colors. And if you're sensitive to that, I, you can you can tell when it's on there like it will yeah. give you a headache like those are neurotoxins like they oh are meant to paralyze bugs like yeah. they are terrible for you and that's why i just want to go out that's why i absolutely love having these fruit trees out here because i pick it and it's like still alive basically you pick it you cut it open and you're eating it right when it's alive but how do you and how do you do you consider yourself like very well educated when it comes to nutrition i mean how much of that do you think, are you a supplement guy? Or are you just like, look, if you just have enough Swiss chard and a couple of dandelions, you could, you're Popeye. <laughs> so I, right here, I've got my mushroom capsules, right? I've got my, uh, all these different things right here. Oh, what I is that? This is um, Sarsaparegis, and I'm oh. probably saying it wrong. Yeah. And this is Stellaria, and this is pollen, um, pine pollen. I have pine needle extracts. I just got it. And I bet that has to do It's supposed to like clean out your, your um, system. Yeah. And this special one, this is microdosing psilocybin, I think. Nice. I think it's actually. Why do you do that? Huh? Why do you do that? Well, it's a microdose. And I probably once or twice a week, I have one of those capsules. And you could tell like it's, it's like a coffee, but different. More and creative and less anxious. Oh, well, I, yeah, like better in a way. Like if I want to be really creative and really focused on a particular project, one of those capsules, like it's two hours later really? and it's done. And I 
felt great. Yeah. Boy, it's I consider that to yeah. be a strictly leisure activity, but whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, this is microdosing. <laughs> yeah. I don't even. Microdosing is yeah. a trend that people on NR have gotten into <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. In, yeah. Businesses. Yeah. What, yeah. So how do you regenerate the grass? I wanted to follow up with that. The, the lawn. How do you. How do you trans? Bring it well. The best way to go is just if if you don't want to spend any time or money with it, just let it go. Just don't poison it. Like just literally let it be what it wants to be. Over time, it will heal and it will become very diversified again. But if you want to move forward, then get a design, a food forest blueprint, or go online on YouTube and study your zone, your area, and design your own. Like whatever. By the way, our business, there's two relevant factors. We align first with we have to make this change now. I've got four daughters. We have to make the change. Second, we have to show that it's capitalism that is the solution to the problems of socialism, communism. You know, they are rooted in force and violence where capitalism is rooted in the voluntary exchange of value. So anyway, we aligned all these things up. And this part is a lot of fun. Um, I just came to this over the past few months. Our company is going to make and is making. We've had millions of dollars in six months of energy created in our company. And we are now building food forests in public areas, at schools and churches. We're, we're going to turn that energy. My the, the energy that I want to create for myself is not going to be stored in a bank account. It's going to be stored in the creation of beauty in our world and the abundance that comes through me through that energy. Right. So it's a different way to look at money. I would rather have money out in the world than in my bank account. Yeah. Especially right now with every you know crypto yeah. and the destabilization and everything. And this, the big T, they really weaponize everything. So I always called myself an anarcho-capitalist and I kind of had to move away from that. Not that I distance from capitalism itself, but they have made it so it's financial capitalism. It's 100 percent absentee. And if you want to do things that don't require converting the fruits of your labor into capital so it can be taxed and monitored, they want to cut that off. So they've become they've really weaponized it, whereas it's just a means to an end to like for me, I've said this before. It's kind of funny. Cost accounting is the origin of all surplus wealth like understanding resources and what they really cost you in the context of the alternatives is how you know where to put your effort and everything. So they, so I always think of capital as a way to, to maximize you, the utility you get out of your surplus, but the fundamentals, if you can, if you can take care of your own necessities first, you're really, there's very little they can do to control you and they cannot force you to engage in their system. And then you can convert, the capital you use could be gold, could be Bitcoin, could be barter. It could be, well, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be barter, but that's, it's the same idea, entrepreneurship. I I love that. And I actually go further than, and to say that the, the bet, the, problem solve themselves through capitalism, not just because of capital surplus wealth, all that. But when you look at religion, spirituality, which I consider to be a reflection of human nature, there are billions of people in the world who identify with one of the major religions, all of which have two tenets for sure, for starters. One is like self-control, good behavior. And the other is to take care of people who through the, um, you know, grace of God, you do not walk in their shoes that you should. I almost think of it as a talisman, like you have to help them as a way to as a sign of gratitude. So 
uh, I believe that wealth surplus abundance results in charity and um, affirming each other. And so what you said, I find very interesting in that. What if I wanted to take a piece of you know, a little like the field behind, you know, there's the grassy area behind the field at school. And I wanted to make it a gift to the class to have put in a forest there. And so my son has Down syndrome and they're responsible for they have a little garden behind their classroom and they're responsible for the recycling and they try to learn how to like be productive, self-sustaining. What if I wanted to make give them a little forest? Is that can you give an idea of how much it might cost? What's kind of the minimum spend it would cost to do something like that like so if people want to even do it for a charitable reason or community reason is it is it attainable yes it's not only attainable we're doing it in several locations we would put up a design in that case we'll donate the design and then we'll help you um, engage in the community and that's when it gets real is when you bring the community into it by sharing all of the benefits and values we've also created a curriculum that we will give you and you can use pieces of that curriculum to teach the kids about the connection with nature. You have a curriculum for kids? Yeah. Wow. Because I'll tell you this whole, so I'm in LA. I've been here since the beginning of this thing and the impact it has had on the kids is so it's just so disconnecting from everything from, it really feels like there's something profound and they all, they're all talking about mental health, this mental health, that I'm like, you just implemented the, the greatest experiment in um, mental ill health that you could possibly have implemented on these kids. And we we are very close family. We're really supportive of each other. So we're we're here. We were all locked down together and we got through it. But the because we we're kind of new to the area, the connections with the community just weren't strong enough. And what we're looking for now. So I've just for the first time in my life, not only did I not leave church early, I actually stayed after in the courtyard and said hi to people. And it was like, where did you come from? Like, I know normally I like to zip home as fast as possible, but I, we're really craving that community effect. And, um, and I saw the kids talking to the other kids who they normally, you know, kids are kind of shy, but, I think that this is a rare opportunity for us to come together. And if we can do it in a way that defeats their evil plot of having us all just zoom ourselves into madness, it might really, I mean, I just, I've never really been community oriented before, but I don't think I really knew what it meant. I mean, I think, you know, I think a community has to be shared values and a shared pursuit. So this would be, and I, and I heard that once and and, um, I think it was Christopher Dawson is a great philosopher from the mid 20th century. You might enjoy. He said that if a, if a community or civilization doesn't have, doesn't share um, architecture and religion, something like that, um, then even if it is increasing in prosperity, it is, it is, it is a civilization in decline because if you don't have the same values, you you can't be working towards the same thing and it cannot hold together. And so the community by finding people who know each other, uh, who have the same values, want to work towards the same thing. I imagine that that would really result in that kind of, you know, you don't mental health isn't just like your own personal right. sen- sense. Right. It's also those connections. I feel like it was just such oh, a so nice way to much. Try. It's so much. And so we're, we will actually help 
direct and manage the whole process by giving you the tools that you can use to inspire the community. So you can get up in front of the, of the church members or in front of the school or by email, and you can say, Hey, we're going to put together a community day. If, if we could ha- each have you bring one fruit tree, one berry bush each, according to this design that you show them, which will inspire them by itself. And then we'll bring in mulch and we'll bring in soil. And now you, the whole community, 50 people spend like an hour or two and they learn and they get to, it's beautiful. I'm totally doing that. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I have a question for you about fair immunes that plants release. Now I, I read about this a while back and I would joke with people that plants, they release fair immunes from my understanding when they, they're afraid or when they're under attack or something. And that when we cut the grass, that that fresh cut grass smell that we're smelling is the smell of terror and that we love it. Is that is that is that a Pheromones fear smell? Like a- yeah, they release, they release something when they're, when yeah. I think they're yeah. under, you know a lot more about it than I do. So I, I know this just blew my mind. I heard this from Nicholas Bertner, one of my uh, permaculture teachers. Um, he was describing how there's certain bugs that will eat your lettuce in your garden or your kale or any of those plants. And they will release a pheromone, which a wasp will see as a color. And so your wasp becomes your garden protector. Same with spiders and snakes and all these different animals that are supposed to be so scary to the world, right? And I do want to state this point. Um, Spiders and snakes together kill 11 people in the United States per year, right? (laughs) How many people do cancer and diabetes and heart disease kill, right? And yet we're scared of snakes and spiders, which, by the way, also kill about 500 metric tons of mosquitoes and other insects a year. Right. So we use poisons to kill the spider where infinitely more people are dying of the poison than the spider. So it's like little big farm. Right. There you go. Yeah. So that's amazing that they they send like specific signals to other insects or whatever to come take out the person or not the person, but the thing that's attacking. That's crazy. It's like, it's, it's a balance. And there's mycelial networks, like mushroom networks and trees. They communicate for hundreds of miles, you know, and that's probably what you're referring to. The animal will be eating like a herd of deer or something will be eating plants over here. These plants over here will put out um, chemicals that make their leaves toxic or bitter so that deer don't eat them. It's crazy. Yeah, it's amazing. The more I learn about plants and trees and stuff, the, the more I'm just like, they might be, they might be, of a higher intelligence than we are in certain ways. In certain ways. I wanted to, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you this one thing. When I was in Switzerland many years ago, visiting a friend, he was annoyed because the authorities came by and made him take like a shrub down. And he said, this was a long time. I mean, this is a really long time ago. And he said that it was like UN sustainable goals or something. And then when I was living in Atlanta, somebody called from Johns Creek, which is a, outside of Atlanta. Well, maybe it's 45 minutes. I don't know. But he said that they had they just under the radar passed those laws and they were actually like international landscaping requirements and stuff. Is that everywhere? How do you deal with the laws and restrictions? It is in a lot of places. And that's all part of the same scam. Right. Um, 
there's so many stories of warring tribes where the the warlords will come in and the first thing they'll just kill is the farmers and they'll take the farms right so it is all part of the same thing and how we deal with them is mass adoption of the idea whose time has come we have to catalyze a shift in consciousness that leads to mass adoption and and literally just stand up against it and you have to stay ahead of it because that's what I always say. Like, I see the future coming. I know this is World War Three. I know we've got cultural change. I call it the Iron Shroud. I mean, that doesn't sound very nice, but like they're descending with their like crepe or whatever. And uh, you have to hold the ground. You have to you have to get those precedents through the courts. And I keep thinking yeah. of it as a legal battle. But but you're saying you could manifest it in the real actual world. And then it's a lot harder for them to come through and yes. say, you got to tear out all these fruit trees people. I mean, we're not so far gone that we wouldn't think that was kind of wacky. Oh, for sure. And, and how do we do it? I've been thinking about this, asking this question, right? Many, many times in different perspectives. How do we do that? Well, we have to inspire the people that are in powerful positions along with the masses, because it's like, you know, you saw that Star Wars where a couple of the stormtroopers switched sides and they helped win the victory, right? I mean, it's literally that metaphor is too freaking right on. And these are stormtroopers. They're asleep. They believe in governmente. In other words, they don't have their own thoughts. Because what's the root of government again? What is that word? Govern is to manage or control and mente is mind. Right, right. I mean, they just accidentally (laughs) named it mind control. Like, oh, that's an accident. That doesn't really mean that. What? Wow. So So, where can people find out more? Yeah. So um, foodforestabundance.com. And my email is jim at foodforestabundance.com. And I love talking to people. If you're interested in the design, if you're interested in being in the business, any of that stuff, if you just want to grow food and you're looking for advice, our community will do everything we can to help. I'm totally going to, I'll actually use the website so that I know how it works to try to figure out who somebody local or through you I can talk to. And I'm also going to go to the church and the different schools where my kids go and just kind of scope out and see if there's any little piece of land that isn't being used. And they might like that. Maybe bring some pictures of what it could look like, which I could probably find on the website. Right. Yep. It sounds I like a big it. pitch. I don't we don't have any relationship. I never talked to you before. I'm not yeah. going to get any big or anything. But I just think it's a really it's just one of those mutually beneficial yeah. things where I feel like it's a, a real concrete piece of hope. Yeah. And I feel like people need to move forward on whatever it is that you need to do. If you need to go to City Hall and protect the gun rights in your town or forget protect the ability for you to um, collect rainwater, yeah. th- those kind of things. Or if you if you want to, you know, start building your own food, uh, food forest abundance or sustainable yeah. or personal supply of food. I really feel like the action is the hope. Yeah, it is. It is for sure. And and we're on the path. We had a TV show just done about us. All these things are oh, happening. Really? Yeah. Like, oh, let's link it. That'll be fun. Uh, yeah, cool. It'll probably it's the the producer of the Crocodile Hunter, which was my favorite show, reached out and said they want to make the next Steve Irwin a permit like big. And then an A-list actor wow. reached out at the exact same two-day period. So we did a food force install at this actor's house. This is statistically impossible. There's things that are happening. Um, he happened to be my favorite actor for about seven or eight years running. So my favorite producer, my favorite actor, call. It's magic, everybody. It's magic. That everybody. is magic. And that's that's good to people who 
have a, a platform where they can reach bigger audiences like that, like an actor who's doing that, then that can start to kind of uh, spread it and, and more and more people can get involved. Yep. Yep. So call me if you if you want anything to do with this, just get a hold of me and we'll we'll have some fun. And we'll, we'll put thanks. some put the links and stuff in the show notes for people. Definitely. Is there you on Twitter? Yeah, anywhere else you want people to check you out? I know foodforceabundance.com. And it's kind of all over the place. We're getting on Rumble and all the different um, free speech platforms now, especially. Well, you got the right crowd. Because yeah, awesome. you definitely do. Yeah, you, you said yeah. an idea whose time has come. The the time has definitely come for this idea. And I uh, appreciate you joining us today. You've I love your energy. I love your positivity. I think I think we could use a little bit more optimism in the world today. And I appreciate you bringing that optimism. So awesome. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you right. so much. Thank, thank you all for okay. listening. And we will talk to you next time.